Marie White. I'd like to welcome you to the White Bikini. And joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing great, Marie. It's good to be with you once again. Today is one of my favorite topics because I think it's important, but most people disagree with me. And that is the discussion of toxic positivity. I am not a toxic positive person. I truly believe in getting your feelings out, dealing with them. If you can make things better, do it. If you can't, then you kind of have to move on. But I do believe this constant, don't worry, be happy, get over it, is very detrimental to people's mental health. No, I think there's a, a good argument to be made. I think it's an argument that you will be making and it's grounded in sound psychology. I, I feel I have to, I want to break this down two ways. One is personal life, toxic positivity, and then work life. Because I think there's two very different dynamics that can happen personally versus the workplace. The exact origins of the label toxic positivity are murky, but I found this interesting that the ideal is rooted in American culture which values positivity. And I thought that was very interesting. I, I'll go further. I think it's probably rooted in an Anglo-American sensibility. The British were well known for having a stiff upper lip. Think back to Churchill doing the blitz, the raids on London. And it was this idea that you overcome whatever hardships you are faced with. So I think, I think it's um, perhaps it's a legacy I also think it's interesting because you and I talk about that greatest generation that I'm wondering if that toxic positivity did not affect their mental health longer term. I think they were told essentially, get over it. Stiff up your lip. Stiff up your lip. What was, there was a song I think from the 1930s, Happy Days Are Here Again. I, I think it was a generation that felt whatever they had, they should be lucky. They should be damn lucky and don't you complain. So I think that's where it comes from. I, I think at least that's a, a major expression of it. And it's attractive to many people to be very, very positive, but it's not always easy to maintain that positive facade where I do believe it starts to affect people's mental health. I and agree. It's a, I'm not a positive person. I think you're positive. No, I, I just don't give into negativity because of the my history of mental health problems. I can't okay. afford to do that because it, it's almost like a diabetic drinking Coca-Cola. It's just something I can't do if I want to live. So it's not so much that I am a positive person. It's just that I, as much as I just, I can't indulge negativity if you can sort of discern the difference. I don't know that I can, but I'll move on. The problem is when people are forced to seem or be positive in situations where it's not natural or where there's an actual problem that legitimately needs to be addressed, 
that's where it turns to distress or their needs are not being met. I agree. I think I initially made the point that what the topic at hand is actually uh, grounded rather in sound psychology. And the point of that is if you are not dealing with reality on the terms of reality, then you're delusional. So that is the basis of the psychological reference I made. And so I do agree with you there. Because I look back at my upbringing, my mother was very positive. My aunts were very positive. And I do remember sometimes feeling that I didn't have a voice if I had concerns. It was the feelings were always just brushed aside and keep plugging along. I think so. And I think perhaps women of your mother's generation, the expectations were different because they were expected to smile and make their husbands and their children happy. So I, I think there are many different cultural tie-ins that are expressed in the toxic positivity. And part of it is rooted in gender roles and to a certain extent misogyny. There also is a school of thought, which might be another podcast, but toxic, toxic positivity is a way of gaslighting. I agree, I agree. It's a form of manipulation. I think it forces people to deny their realities and deny what their senses and their instincts are telling them. And it can take many forms. It can be a family member who chastises you for expression, expressing frustration instead of listening to why you're upset. And it can always be that comment, look on the bright side or be grateful for what you have. It truly is. And it's just a way of dismissing people's concerns. You know, you just gave an example of how it works within a family. But as you alluded to, there is another setting and that's the workplace where your supervisor or boss someone from HR poo-poo's your concerns. And that is destructive. That is really detrimental to having a healthy work experience where you have a legitimate concern and then someone in authority dismisses them with an empty platitude. I think for me, I am toxic. I have toxic positivity when I'm at work, but not in my personal life. And why do you think that's, there's a difference? I feel that I want to keep my job. And I That's don't reasonable. think I don't think higher upper management, if you're seemed looked upon as someone who complains, I feel it has a negative effect on your ability to move within the company. Oh, that's, I think that is a reasonable assessment. I think if people feel that you are, uh, to borrow a term from the 1990s, a Debbie Downer, then it can affect people professionally. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that though, is that those same people, you know, you've shared ex uh, examples of being in workplaces where executives and C-level personnel feel completely at ease to express their negativity and their frustrations. So I think it part of it is the division within the workplace. Would you agree with that? I agree. And I also think for me, most of my experience with upper management has been working with men. Men do not want to hear any nuance of any daily issues or layers of problems. And that's one reason I feel that I respond better working with women. They're better listeners. That's true. I think most men feel entitled to go into the workplace and express their frustration or anger, especially men in a position, in an executive position. I, I think that's absolutely the case. They don't want 
that from female, even colleagues and peers, much less subordinates. So yes, there's definitely a, a, a gender component to the way we experience toxic positivity. It's as if you're there to look pretty and be happy while they can be real, if you will, with their anger and frustration and disappointments. I mean, I'm sure you've been, you've had stories of being in the workplace where men are dropping head bombs and swing at the top of their lungs and they're expressing the way they feel, but that behavior would never be tolerated by a female peer. Absolutely not. Because then you get called the B word for I crazy. I used to work with a project manager that I always respected it because whenever I saw he was leaving the building, he never lost his temper in his office. If he had to kind of get a little heated, he always took the phone call in his cell phone in the parking lot while he would pace around. But I remember always feeling happier because I didn't want to hear that level of anger. No, I, I can definitely see that. And the more we had this discussion, of, you know, initially this topic to me was a little curious. But when you talk about it, this is about the lived experiences of people daily in the workplace. I mean, it's something we do every day. And much in the way that COVID forced us to re-examine what we will tolerate in terms of working 10 hours a day for, you know, $5 plus tips. And you're wondering why people won't go back into these jobs. I think an examination of toxic positivity is very much in line with that. It's a set of it's a set of expectations about behavior that are placed primarily on women, but more broadly speaking, on people in subordinate roles to make executives, to make the boss, to make the manager, to make the supervisor happy so that they can focus on their work. And so you're right, ultimately the point you made about gaslighting and dismissing the concerns of people in the office, that's absolutely the case in my mind. I think too that the service industry, meaning the retail experience, going to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee, I'd say about five to 10 years ago, part of their job expectation was being positive and engaging. Today, they just want people to show up. I mean, do, does Walmart still have breeders? I have only been to a Walmart once since the pandemic started, and I did not notice a greeter, and I got in and got out quickly, but I don't think so. I do remember, you know, some of my first jobs, especially the service industry jobs, that was that was pushed on workers, that greet the customer, engage with the customer, make the customer feel warm and welcome. And I think that mentality, that, that forced pleasantness, that sort of saccharine, unreal interaction. It's not even a human interaction. You as a customer, you walked in there, you like, you know this little kid has no regard for your well-being or your concern for you whatsoever. They just want to get through the end of the day so that they can go clubbing that night. Um, and, I, and I think you do that for 20 years, 30 years, and you establish this idea of professional toxic positivity. You wind up with people feeling resentful towards one another. And I have very mixed feelings. I do work a retail job part time and I'm, I'm a toxic positive person at work. I'm always greeting the clients. How, how you know, hello, how are you? where I don't feel that my younger, and I mean substantially younger, I'm probably referring to 25 and under. There's not a lot of positivity from some of them. They don't feel the need to be professional. So I feel that I might've been in between with that toxic positivity. They have no regard for being positive. So I don't know in terms of the workplace where that all lands, because I think it's important to be walking them to a client where I'll accommodate a client longer than I should have to. Younger people, they just kind of walk away and throw their hands up. 
I think there's a difference, and this is a key difference, and I think this speaks broadly beyond the scope of this conversation and more in terms of how we interact as a society. There's a difference between having good manners and being, you know, expressing toxic positivity. I think there's a there's a profound difference. Being able to look someone in the eye, say, hello, how are you, welcome, something, or something I can find, we have this, we don't have this, here's a solution to a problem, here is an alternative. Having those skills, that's not about being uh, positively toxic or toxically positive. Uh, it's about being good at your job and having the skills, the interpersonal skills, to connect with another human being in a real way. And I think as we go forward to this conversation, I think it's important to draw a distinction between having good manners, being personable versus toxic positivity. Would you agree with that or do you see it slightly different? No, I agree with it, but I don't know where the line is drawn. For example, I do work a part-time service job. Part of my responsibility is being toxically positive. People come in to spend their money. They want to see someone that's engaging. And as we all know, we've all had people, clients, that I've addressed the situation. They've got what they needed, but there's always that turn. And then before you know it, you spend another 20 minutes with taking on people's personal problems. Well, and that's an extreme. You're not a therapist. I've worked in retail myself, I've worked in the service industry, and it's amazing how, hi, hello, how are you? Can I help you find, <laughs> turns into, oh, and so your husband's going to leave you? Oh my God, your, your grandkids haven't called you in a year? so-and-so has a serious medical diagnosis you're right you're absolutely right there are people who will exploit your attention because there are people out there who are lonely and sad and you and i have had the experience of working in a fairly affluent middle to upper middle class to darn near wealthy community here in southeast Pennsylvania. And there are people out there who have all the material resources that you could imagine or desire, but they starve for human contact. And many, many of us who worked in service industry, if you're kind, if you say hello, you can open up a can of worms that will lead to someone monopolizing your time for 45, 50 minutes. But that is not the same as toxic positivity. That is, I think the word that you use is gaslighting. And for me, gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation. That it's about trying to convince other people of a reality that doesn't exist. So I, you know, there it, it, it weaves and it bends and it ebbs and flows. And, and I think this is like dy a dynamic description. I don't think we, as a society, we have fully come to terms with toxic positivity. So there are many flavors. But I think at the heart of it, it's about, or it's, I was about to say it's about authenticity, but really it's about the lack of authenticity. And furthermore, it's about manipulating people in order to get them to feel a way that you want them to feel. And you know, with toxic positivity, you know, negative emotions are seen as inherently bad, and instead, positivity and happiness are compulsively pushed, and authentic human emotional experiences are denied, minimized, or invalidated. You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember the Stepford Wives movie? I think was it the 90s or early 2000s? Yes, with Nicole Kidman oh, was in it. Yeah, that's that's what I think of uh, as, as this conversation evolves. Uh, my mind just went to that. It's the, And what did these these women turn out to be? Were they robots or were they brainwashed or were they somehow reprogrammed? I, I don't remember the plot of the movie, but these weren't authentic human beings. I, that's the point. And I think some of the problem now is we have for example, you and I've worked a similar retail job. The people that we, at the time, all the personalities we were dealing with 
whether someone we were working with was 80 years old or 30 years old, there was that same sense of community and understanding of how to communicate to each other. Yes, because they weren't reading a script. And I think a lot of this toxic positivity, a lot of it is emanated. I think, as you said, there's a cultural component to it that dates back decades, perhaps even centuries, to the founding of this country or to the development of our modern society. But I think a lot of it, at least in the recent years, my, my conception of toxic positivity, especially professional toxic positivity, to make a distinction between social, uh, which is a deeper historical context, and professional toxic positivity, I think it's a product of corporate America. I think it's people in executive suites trying to figure out how to get one more dollar out of grandma and how to create a culture to gaslight people into thinking Walmart is the best store. Macy's is the best store. Best Buy is the best store. Target is the best store. So I think it's a form of corporate manipulation in order to pad their bottom line. When when you were raised, do you think you were raised to always be optimistic or did people always said be happy? Yes and no. I, I think, like I said, I struggle with it. I'm still struggling with the concept a little bit because I think there's part of it where you have an expectation to be uh, have good manners, and having good manners, I think that, I think we can draw a distinction between denying the reality of the pain you're expressing versus like complaining to people that you don't know. Well, that's where so, I draw the line. Per, per, for example, for personal life toxic positivity it makes me very angry when people say to me if i say oh you know um i got a flat tire some will say well at least it's only a flat tire where i just want to acknowledge it's still a flat tire i have to pay for can i please just tell you how i'm feeling about it yes and i think that's the struggle that is the struggle i think the struggle is that you want to speak about your reality and other people may not care about it and that's the problem so I think there are several layers that we can tease this out, this conversation out of. So there's the interpersonal layer where I think the flat tire example you just gave is apropos. There is the professional layer, and I think there's a broader social layer. And the seams aren't defined. They're kind of, the edges are fu uh, kind of fuzzy. And so in one regard, you know, you wake up one morning and you have a flat tire, you get into the office and you want to say, Bill, Jane, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I started my day with flat tire, I can't believe it. And then not be able to express that idea because people don't care about you and your problems. I can understand how that would create that. That's not simply toxic positivity. That's a toxic workplace. And then is that personal or professional? Because it happened to you personally. So when you get to work and you're telling personal. someone, yeah, then, then you go, for me personally, yeah. I don't really say too much at work, A, because I don't feel like this generation actually cares. I agree, I agree, I don't think they do. I think, especially the Gen Zers, I don't think they care. My impression is they're there to execute a task and all the interpersonal components the soft skills are all are all superfluous to the mission at hand. They're there to get it, put in their eight hours, uh, execute a certain number of you know tasks, whatever it is, get out and then go clubbing with their friends. And that is that is their reality. They're not interested in you. They they barely want to make eye contact with you. Uh, my God, I sound like a grumpy old man. But am I am I mistaken? Am I being a little uh, just? You're not sounding like a grumpy old man. You are a grumpy old man. Oh, you're a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Terrible.
So personally, it's important to me that I can say, oh, I had a flat tire. It was frustrating. It was $200. I didn't expect that out of my paycheck this week. But then when you go to work and you start a task and you're having difficulty keeping up, it's more of the be positive, look on the bright side, get over it. Everything's going to be okay. And in the workplace, it can be harmful. It can make individuals feel invalidated, unseen, and unheard. I agree. I agree. And I don't know what the answer is because let's face it, you had a flat tire, but you know, Bill may have just found out that his kid needs $10,000 braces. Sally may have found out that her mom needs to go into hospice care. Um, would it be fair to say that we all come to the table with certain challenges? We all have tragedies and disappointment in our lives, right? But I guess some of it is, no, no, I agree. But I feel like in the workplace, some of it becomes more toxic because you're kind of caught in that cycle of problems not being addressed on a higher level. And For I example. think I managed a retail store and I am not the type of manager that every morning when everyone comes in, I expect them to be cheerleading, happy, I know that when I was an associate, I didn't come in that way. These, I felt that my associates needed a minute to breathe. That's a level of emotional maturity and professional development that I just don't think modern retail, service, corporate, Silicon Valley, that is just not part of the equation. In my experience, I think that awareness, that level of emotional maturity and emotional sophistication, emotional intelligence, I don't think corporate America wants an authentic expression of that. I think they simply just want you to show up, smile, and do whatever you need to do to get to separate the customer from their money. I understand what you're describing. I don't think our society in the 21st century, in the year 20. 2022 has values that kind of interaction the way we did in the 1990s, 1980s for sure, and certainly earlier than that. So I feel that for me, in my personal life, I need to be able to not have to be toxically positive. In the workplace, I feel that I have to be toxically positive. Unless it's something that I really feel is overwhelming. I grew up in a generation, and more importantly, was managed by older white men that they did not want to hear why you couldn't get it done. It was just get it done. Agreed, agreed. And I think with millennials, it's a similar thing. Not even millennials, I really go through the Gen Zers. The kids who are, I'd say, under 28, who left college, you know, have a few years in the workplace, maybe their first promotion. Unless you can do something for them, they have, they have no regard for you whatsoever. That's the way they function within a, but it, a professional setting. In their defense, they're not growing up in the same America. Well, that's where the toxic positivity I think comes in. It's that's how that's how corporate America can squeeze the last bit of juice out of a skill that doesn't really exist in the culture anymore. People they're being yeah. People don't talk to their neighbors. So, you know, you share a driveway, you share a plot of land, you share a fence with someone that you don't speak to at all. You might a wave, you might give a friendly hello and not in a small group. People don't interact with each other. So this is where I think that's the rooting of this toxic positivity. It, it comes out of a lack of meaningful interaction in people's daily lives. So we fake it and we fake it to get other people to like us because it's a human need. We want to be liked, we want to be respected. Nicholas, have you booked your back to school haircut? I have not booked my back to 
uh, school haircut. Where might one obtain a fabulous back to school haircut? The premier barber shop in Westchester, the shop on Market Street, is an authentic, spacious barber shop providing haircuts and styling for men and children. Owned and operated by longtime Westchester barbers Ashley White, my beautiful niece, and her great partner Christina Hughes. Please book an appointment with them today and find out why girl barbers rule. The phone number is 610-545-3732. You can email them at the info at the shopwc.com or you can reach out to them on Instagram and they do have online booking. Sounds fabulous. I think you need to make your appointment before the weekend so you get ready for your back to school haircut. I know. I'm going to be the coolest kid in school. So, so far resisting is personal toxic positivity, workplace toxic positivity. A third category is toxic positivity during the height of the pandemic. Yeah, I think the, the pandemic just kind of made everything go topsy-turvy. I remember I ordered Instacart probably the early days maybe March, early April. And I remember I eat blueberry waffles and instead of waffles, they brought me blueberry pancakes. I had a meltdown of monumental proportion. And I remember saying to someone, I really wanted the waffles because at this point it wasn't about the waffles. But I remember someone saying, look, at least you got something blueberry, try to be positive. But for that moment, this is more of a personal toxic positivity story. But for one moment, I just needed someone to say, that would really upset me. Can I do anything for you? Can I drop them off? Can you maybe order again and return them? But immediately it was the get over it. And in the middle of the pandemic, I don't know if that level of toxic positivity was also good for people's mental health. I agree, but let me let me toss a difficult question your way. Would you rather someone just come out and say, you know what, I really just don't care? Or would you rather them throw a set of platitudes your way? Because I, I don't want to set it up as a false dichotomy. I don't think it's one option or another. It's not a binary choice. But let's just consider what it's like if someone comes to you and they're discussing personal challenges in their life that are authentic and real, and you don't have the bandwidth to engage with them. What's the solution? And I mean this as a curious question, not a rhetorical question. I have to honestly say that 99.9% of the time, I make time to have the bandwidth. Personally, personally. And I think that part of it is, of course, personal. And I think another aspect of it is generational. And we're now in a culture where people do not feel incentivized, motivated to make time for other people. I know exactly what you're describing. Someone comes in, they got a, a frown on their face. You know, you walk up to them and say, hey, you know, how's it going? And you stand there and you listen. I think our appetite for those kinds of interactions have changed. I think with the political tensions in the country, with the economic struggles that people are going through, I mean, if every time you go and fill your tank of gas, uh, fill your tank with gas, it costs you $50, $60. That's going to stress you out and everything else around you. If you want to go buy a house, you can't because even if you sell your house at a good price, the there is no house out there for you to buy that's comparable to the one you just sold at the price you got for that house. So I think there are all these things taking place in our culture that are putting people at their limit 
in terms of the capacity. And I'm speaking about people who would normally be inclined to engage and ask you about what's going on in your life. I'm not necessarily talking about people who are just disinterested. And I, part of that I think is um, related to, it's a generational thing. But I, you know, what I'm basically saying, I hope that this is a blip on the radar and that as, as we get back to a more uh, convivial and healthier society, that we may find our, our, find our way to connect with, you, with each other in a meaningful way. Because I like that. We're going to end right there. I don't know that you believe toxic positivity exists or it's important, but I appreciate you engaging today with me. I do think it exists because, I, as I said, I think it is a form of manipulation. And I, I've seen it. I know essentially people are trained. That's part of their jobs to, you know, door-to-door -door salesman type, the Eddie Haskell type. I do believe that it exists. My, Eddie my, Haskell is before both of our times. Will you stop it? My point being ultimately is I don't think the solution of having more meaningful connections with other people is, is easy, but we'll have to leave it there. Please remember to subscribe to The White Bikini through Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And thank you for joining us today. Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. We had a dream, we'd go traveling together. We'd spread a little love and then we'll keep moving on. Something always happens whenever we're together. We get a happy feeling when, when we're singing a song. There's a song that we're singing Come on, get happy A whole lot of loving is what